It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. If you're going to achieve outsized success, you have to get so good you're impossible to ignore. This requires an obsession with skill acquisition. No one starts out great, you become great. As today's guest says, the difference between you being broke and being a billionaire is just a set of ideas. Understanding which ideas to invest in, which to discard, and how to achieve financial freedom through your own actions. To that end, I bring you Cody Sanchez, the woman with an instruction manual for success. What do people need to know about how the world really works and how you went from being an underpaid journalist to buying a portfolio of small, what you call boring businesses that now kick off just under $100 million in annual revenue to you? Business in general, especially small business, gets way overcomplicated. So we hear these stories of Silicon Valley billionaires who have exited these giant tech companies and built this next social app or Tesla. And in reality, your richest neighbor, maybe not in this neighborhood, but in most neighborhoods, is probably somebody who owns a plumbing company, Mm -hmm. somebody who owns a local landscaping company. The community all around you, the, the services you use every day can make you a lot of cash. And what makes real change is that, you know, money is the architect for change in our world. You want to get somebody elected? Money. You want to change your local community? Money. You want to have different zoning so you can change the businesses in your local area? Money. And so I don't acquire money because I want Lamborghinis and fancy things. I do it because I think it is a way to freedom because it is a tool for power. I mean, when when I first had money, was when I made like $30,000 when I left college. I mean, I made no money out of college and I thought I was super rich and I might never have to work again. And then I heard about taxes and figured that out. Um, but uh, quickly, I realized that, um, you know, I worked at a big company called Vanguard at the time. And Vanguard was the world's largest uh, financial manager. And what was fascinating about that company is the people inside of Vanguard touched at the time, I think one in every $4 in the US economy was touched in Whoa. one way or the other because of the mutual funds and pensions that they that they invest. And, and I realized, wow, these humans speak a language that I don't understand, like ROI, EBITDA, you know, uh, basis points. There's this whole other language and finance has that for a reason. They have it because you and I, as normal people, do not speak that language. And so they say, give me your money, Tom, and trust it to me because you poor thing aren't intelligent enough to understand how to shepherd your own future. And so I had people calling me in 2008 when I worked at Vanguard crying, asking me how Vanguard could have stolen their money because of the crisis and not realizing that the stock market has fluctuations Mm -hmm. in it. And at that point, I realized oh, wow, like, I'm never going to let this happen to me and mine. And that was hard because 
my family thought to chase money was evil and that we were happy and we didn't have a lot of money, so you don't need money. Mm. And then I heard this thing uh, called the napkin theory. I can't remember who came up with it, but basically at the time I was struggling with, uh, am I okay to chase after money? Like, is this bad? Am I a bad person for this? And I heard this story about uh, a napkin and imagine yourself in the middle. So you are standing in the middle, Cody, and around me is my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, let's say on each of the four corners. And when you, Cody in the middle, pick up your napkin like this in order of pursuing financial freedom, you lift up everybody else around you, right? Because you can't be what you can't see. And also because money trickles, you know, people talk about trickle down economics, we could think about that one way or the other. But money, actually, when you have more of it around your family, you can hire your family members, you can build new businesses, you can create more wealth by spending it. And so they explained it as one of the best pursuits you can have is pursue it so you can pick everybody else up. Mm. And that changed a lot for me. I have a uh, a bunch of businesses that I own, right? These small businesses largely run by blue collar workers. And I remember I called up one of the operators in one of my companies, the guy who runs the whole thing overseas, let's call it 100 employees and contractors. And I was like, I want to do events for our like line workers. So for blue collar, largely Hispanic, same thing. And I want to do self-improvement events. Like what could we do? What would they be interested in? We'll pay them to go mm -hmm. even. And I remember he said to me, um, they won't go. They're not interested in personal development. You can't find those people. And I thought that was so fascinating. So I called up a couple other operators of some of the businesses that I owned. This was back in the day. And like two or three of them kind of like pranced around it a little bit, you know, were a little bit PC and then said the same thing. I was like, that's fascinating. So are they right? Or like, is there some miscommunication? Mm -hmm. And what I basically realized is that the language that we use, even the people on YouTube listening to this right now, by and large, most of the people listening are already understand the words personal development. They think it's a good thing, not a bad thing. And most people that are blue collar workers, at least in my experience that I've worked with, they think about personal development a bit like therapy. Like I told my dad, I was going to go to therapy with my husband proactively, like before we got married. Mm. He was like, what's wrong? Are you guys okay? And I was like, no, no, no. It's because we want to work on this thing called marriage, which seems important. And I failed at it once. So like, maybe we should mm. get some help. And, uh, and he was like, okay, that's bizarre. You know, and then I told my mom kind of the same thing. Now they're smart, great humans, but the words meant something different to them. And so what I realized with our group is, oh man, we basically have, I think there's sort of two worlds in the US right now, and maybe even three, but one world are, you know, it's kind of the elites. And the elites might even mean white collar workers in corporate jobs that use words like quiet quitting. Those words don't fucking exist in blue collar, blue collar land. Mm -hmm. And so what I tried to do early on is I realized I had some of those words like, oh, therapy, bad, personal development. Why? What's wrong with you? You know, and I had to re navigate and negotiate my language. That was the only way I could change my relationship with money. So it started with being okay with things like personal development, which is totally normal now. Um, other thing I'll say is I get really annoyed today when people, especially like on Twitter, let's say, they start saying things like, oh yeah, you should just get up at 5 a.m., get into an ice bath, then sauna, then whatever, like, you know, you nerds. And it's like, hey, I know that that seems crazy for a lot of people, but you guys are so inculcated into this world of being elites that you don't even realize you're being extra elite by trying to tell people that 
have never experienced what it feels like to get up early and meditate, that that's unnecessary mm -hmm. because it's actually really powerful. So instead of trying to like break out of the, you know, world we live in where people are obsessed with personal development, realize most people are not in that world and help them. Don't try to belittle it. And that is an interesting cycle I think we're in right now today. It's like self-education is bad. And I yeah. think that's so wrong. I can't remember where I heard this, but somebody said, it uh, might've been you, uh, where there's mystery, there's money. Mm. Like are people intentionally creating a false version of the world to keep other people down? I think in this case, it's more people don't realize that they live in bubbles. People on the internet largely talk to other people on the internet that are just like them. And so a lot of the people who are mouthpieces like you and I, let's say, and you've been at it a long time, they never had your experience of, of hiring ex-convicts, speaking to them and driving them around Beverly Hills. Never. And probably they've a lot of this generation is like solo entrepreneurs who like that idea of being a solopreneur and want to talk about on the Internet. Hey, I built this business of $10 million in 90 days and I have no employees. And I think that's a fucking tragedy. I think one of the most incredible things you can do is hire people. They're going to drive you crazy, but they're also going to mean you have a legacy on this planet that's above and beyond just what comes out of your body as a small child or human. And so I just think they don't realize how bubbled they are and that their idea of happiness, aka a solo entrepreneur with $10 million, I think it's going to be really empty in the years to come because you know this too, but there's nothing better than watching one of your employees change completely underneath, you could call it your leadership or just within your culture and building this thing where people are creating bigger than you. It's an incredible feeling. So that's yeah. my belief. Yeah. I'm obsessed with that moment where somebody realizes oh, I'm actually capable of more than I thought that I was. Yep. So for me, it really, it really did feel like, um, as I climbed my way up, what I was doing was pulling the curtain back and seeing how the world actually works. And that sense has not stopped for me. Like yeah. the, the farther I go, the more I learn, the more I succeed, the more I'm like, Oh, whoa, like the world works in a certain way. And getting into finance was actually the big thing for me. That was the first time where I felt like maybe there really is a conspiracy. Mm -hmm. Like when you start to understand what inflation really is, it's like, bro, what is happening? So how do you, cause you're a big believer in, and I, I think this is something that we'll really share. So I step back and I look at the world and I feel like it's losing its mind. And I'm like, the fuck is happening? And never did I think that I would deal with culture war stuff or anything yeah. even remotely politicky. And then I realized that the world is tearing itself apart because of bad ideas. And that really is my jam. So how we start getting people to pay attention to good ideas. One thing you said that really resonated with me is getting more people to have skin in the game, mm -hmm. because if you own part of the house, you don't want to tear it down. What do you mean by that? And what are you actually trying to help people discover in that moment? Yeah, there's a famous law called tragedy of the commons, right? And it's an economic theory that is really crucial if you want to understand why people burn instead of build. And uh, I heard about it from a famous economist by the name of Thomas Sowell. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. If I Harvard, was going to be a fanboy for anybody, it would him. be Thomas Sowell. Yeah. Me too. His, his book, Economic Facts and Fallacies, I think is crucial reading for anybody that wants to understand numbers, not regurgitate them. Mm. And to do it in a way that is a competition of ideas, as opposed to, let me just shout my idea the loudest. 
And uh, and he talks about, for instance, uh, when I lived in, in D.C., I saw it firsthand. We had uh, we were in a new development. We were in Columbia Heights. And, um, you know, some of the streets were the hood. Some of the streets were brand new developments. Across from us was a, a big project that went up. Um, subsidized housing. Really well done. Pretty. Um, and sadly, within about the year that we were living there, it went from like a nice establishment to by the end, most of the houses boarded up mm. one year. Woof. And, uh, and I remember sitting there watching it. And at the same time, I was rereading economic facts and fallacies. And Thomas Sowell talked about this, about how instead of subsidizing housing, okay, making it cheaper for people, but having no skin in the game, nobody is responsible for anything in that place. And some of them live for free. What they've done is they've taken away their personal sovereignty. You know, have you guys ever been on a street, let's say, and you see those scooters? around, right? That everybody, you can rent for a few dollars, whatever, bird scooters. And they're like beat to hell. You know, they're thrown on the sidewalk in Paris. They throw them in the Seine uh, all the time. And that is the tragedy of the commons in action. If that was your scooter, you would take care of it. But because you don't own that scooter and you have no incentive one way or the other to take care of it, you beat it up. And you being collective, you, all of us. And so um, I think one of the biggest problems in our society today, we did this huge uh, research analysis and it it shook me. And it was we looked at subsectors in the US economy. So not just um, construction, but let's say hardware stores, and roofing companies. And what we found is across, I can't remember how many subsectors, but let's say 30 or 40, that 25 to 30% of all subsectors are owned by the top 10 companies in each sector. And that number is growing rapidly. So we don't own our local businesses anymore. We don't own our homes as much anymore. One in four single family homes in 2022 was bought by an institutional buyer. And so we are sort of, we're doing the narrative that's supposed to not be true, which is that, you know, you will own nothing and be happy about it. Yeah. And we're doing it, um, we're letting it happen right in front of our eyes. And I think that's a horrible thing because you have all been to, I mean, you've certainly seen it here in, in, in LA, but you go to a, a Starbucks, right? And outside, it's like kind of dirty, beat up. The greeter doesn't know your name. The barista spells it wrong. They get your coffee. The brains are kind of burnt. And it's lost what it was. The mermaid is no more. And then you go to a local coffee shop. And what do you feel? Like, it's the same person every day. I just was at one in San Diego the other day. Gosh, I wish I remember his name so I could shout it out. But great little coffee shop in Bird Rock. The owner is right there. He's making the coffee for me. We get to know each other. He's having a community party on Sunday. That is never going to happen at a Starbucks. And that's why owning those small businesses is so important, I think. And that skin in the game is all the difference. And then I'll shut up. But last thing is just, I don't think everybody should own a business. It's hard. You know that better than anybody. You've been playing this game in a big way. But I do think having some incentive where if I do X more, I can make Y more and I can leave my stamp on the world, it's really important. So that's my mission. I love that. I think it's really important as you were talking. So uh, you're going to own nothing and be happy. So when I got into this, I really thought anybody, if you believed in any conspiracy, you were out of your mind. You were like, oh, geez, I like, do I even have time to have this conversation? And then uh, I really started thinking about the way that people think. So here's my thesis. Dear smart people, stop trusting yourself because you think you're real fucking clever. And I'm just going to tell you right now, you're wrong more than you're right. I'm glad you're there. I'm glad the world has smart people. And I'm glad that people really push the envelope and do things and take chances and believe in themselves. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is 
the scientific method. Like you, you have to approach everything with humility. And when I hear things like you're going to own nothing and be happy, it's like, bro, stop trying to do top down. Top down always ends in tyranny. Not once, not most of the time. It always ends in tyranny. Mm -hmm. And so seeing people snatching buildings up or whatever, one, I think it's unwise to think of it as a grand conspiracy. I think it is better to think of it as well-intentioned people. They aren't evil. They certainly don't view themselves as evil, mm -hmm. but they, they have a belief system that we have to dunk on. And we have to understand, we being anybody listening to this, that you can get so good, they can't stop you from controlling your own life. You can get so good that you can buy a bevy of boring businesses that generate a hundred million dollars. That's so crazy. And getting people to understand that. And I love that you used to be a journalist, that you did not go to Harvard, that like, I think at one point you said, I did more keg stands than like MCAT prep. I forget what the other thing was, but I was also just like, true. <laughs> just, oh God, it was so on point. And yet you learn the rules of a game and now you play that game well. And so I've been thinking a lot about, okay, my show's evolved a lot over the years, always with the same mission. I this moment, I want people to understand that you can get so good at the game that nobody can stop you. That's it. It's the only reason I do all of this. I work this fucking hard for that one thing. And as I get into this part of my thing where I'm trying to have way deeper conversations. So for the person that's been following me for seven years, it's like, cool. In the beginning, we got your mindset, right? Then we helped you get your personal finances and your relationships, right? And now we're like full reality distortion field. And what I want people to understand is that the game of life has rules. You can master them and you can play to win. And so the, the tagline I'm noodling on uh, is life is a beautiful game because I don't want people to hear wolves howling in the background. I don't want them to think of Klaus Schwab as an evil guy. He really thinks he's good. Yeah, Like so he true. really thinks he's trying to help you. Yeah. And if you approach him in that way, you'll be better off. Anyway, I want people to understand life is a beautiful game, but you need to master it. Yep. And so looking under the curtain, seeing how all of this works, like that really is what I'm all about at every level, whether I'm doing a comic book, working on the video game, or doing one of these interviews, it's like, lift up the curtain, see how this, that see that it has rules. Once you know how to play, then you can really get good. Oh, yeah. Well, I love that. Um, because I think you're right. I mean, think about, first of all, the beautiful game is interesting, because that's what they call uh, football soccer. or soccer around the world, and which is the most viewed sport uh, in the world, right? Globally, yep. which I love. And I think also... If you think about it as a game, then you think about problems as levels and you think about them as natural and you start to look forward to the solution of said problem as opposed to expecting that life instead of a game is a vacation with a Mai Tai on a beach chair somewhere, which I think is what a lot of us expect. Like it should be easy. I should have this. It's not fair that this happened. It's like, why do we think that we want life without some villains in it and without some worthwhile adversaries 
There's no David without Goliath. And so you need those those enemies and adversaries because they're how you level up. How boring of a game would it be if we were just handed the prize as soon as we walked on stage? What are we going to do with the rest of our time? And so I've really tried to program my mind over the years and to learn from people who look at problems and they're like, oh, this is juicy. What are we going to do about that? How do you think, okay, let's get curious. Like, do we use the, do we use the lightsaber? You know, do we use the laser gun? And if you can do that with business too, then I think this whole world of opportunity opens in front of you where you become the wizard behind the curtain and you realize, oh man, you know, actually every single, any game you want to play, there's rules, then there's ways to break those rules, then there's trends, then there's ripples, then there's rhythms. And so as soon as you realize that you can have fun with it. I mean, we're talking beforehand about YouTube and I have so much fun with social media online because it is a giant game. It's hyper algorithmic. There are tons of rhythms to learn and watch from other people. There's a feedback loop that tells you if you are succeeding or not mm. almost immediately. And that is just like business. So if you like playing around with social media and learning which posts go viral because of the human attention span, then you might actually like business too. And that's why sometimes people are like, you know, well, I want to be a influencer online, or I want to be a singer or an artist. It's like, I don't know. Is that actually what you want? Do you want that label? Or do you want to play a game in which you have some skill set that maybe you could uniquely apply in order to win a little bit more than you lose? And they do want the label. I know, but I don't That's think the they're problem. happy once they get it. They're not because they didn't earn it. But the yeah. the and this is where I really want to get into the way the world actually works. So this is all yeah. psychology, yours and others. And the reality is people do want fame for nothing. They mm -hmm. do want money for nothing. Now, what they don't understand going back to money is just a great facilitator. So if you don't know what you want to do, it's going to implode you. Yeah. No one will believe you until they do it themselves. But that really is true. And so the question is, how do we get people to understand that? In fact, you've said this, the happiness is struggle. Mm. And once you understand the way that I come at it is from an evolutionary lens. Mm. So over millions of years of evolution, nature realized that it had to put algorithms in your mind. One of those algorithms is you won't enjoy anything if you don't work hard for it. Period. Because nature had to make sure you were willing to face a saber-toothed tiger, go hunt, yeah. go gather, like every day in an unrelenting parade of difficulty and misery, you had to keep going. Yeah. And so there had to be a tremendous reward for, I just worked hard. And this is why no one once ever said, I worked my ass off to get this thing and I'm so sad I did it, right? It's like, I worked my ass off to get a thing I care about. That is important. Cody Sanchez says, be careful of the mountain you choose to climb, which True. I think is very wise. But if you worked your ass off to get something you care about, then you feel good, not just about the thing, you feel good about yourself. Yep. But there's a reason that rich kids implode because when you get that thing, it's not going to hold the emotional weight that you wanted it to. And so the thing I fear with kids is when I got into business I didn't do it so I could get on the gram. The yeah. gram didn't exist. <laughs> so I spent t almost 20 years just building businesses, not thinking one day people will think I'm cool for this. I was doing it just so that I could launch my studio. That, that was it, man. I fucking ground myself into the dirt in order to be able to do it. And it was only, I was already worth hundreds of millions of dollars before I picked up my first social post. And if I could get people to fall in love with go get good, yeah. 
that will feel way better than all the likes that you could ever get all the followers and all of that. That shit is transient, but being good at something is forever. When you get rich and or famous, you start to get around other people that are rich and famous. Mm -hmm. What's interesting then is they can see who's real and who's not like this. And you start to crave actually the respect of people that you respect. And so I've seen it implode real fast because, you know, I have a I have a, a friend and he's young and he's done well, made a couple, let's call it tens of millions of dollars online now. But he's done it in ways that people just don't kind of want to associate mm -hmm. with it. And so it's also it's this empty thing. You have to pretend to a legion of humans listening to you that you're the real deal. And yet at the same time, you feel you can feel it. Yeah. And so, you know, I've talked to him about it a decent amount. And I'm like, man, you've got the thing. You're just chasing the wrong rabbit. And so you've got to find your actual real rabbit because you're never going to have the respect just from the likes and clicks. And you'll get it once you're around a bunch of humans who are like, oh, he's a builder. Oh, he's got interesting ideas. No, no, no. He's not a hustler because that's not really what the people that you want respect from are interested in. It's like, no, he's a he's a creator. And by that, I mean a creator of value in this world. And most people don't know to strive for that. They think that we walk around comparing our bank accounts. Like, no, no, but did you see this? I'm real. It's like, no, we, I have no idea what's in your bank. You have no, I, I have no idea. And also, if I told you, you told me, we wouldn't, what does that mean? Nothing. You can't talk about that over a dinner table. You talk about what ideas are in your head and things are you building that are worthwhile for us to have a conversation that doesn't feel like we're at the shallow end. And at a certain point, that's where you want to go when you've had some success. And so, you know, Lisa and I were talking about how do you network with cool people? It's like, be cool, dude. And I don't mean like outfit cool. I mean, try to do cool or inspiring or things that bridge your curiosity. Mm -hmm. Because when you do that, eventually you just attract other people who are interested and trying to. And that, I think, is the real joy of what we get to do is like, I don't really care about, I mean, you've been in this game for a long time. I've met a lot of famous people and a lot of people on the interwebs. I'm like, oh, I could do without that. Never yeah. mind. Not what I thought. And then you meet some builders and you're like, this guy scrubs his, one of my CEOs scrubs his name off of the internet. You can't find it anywhere. He's definitely, I mean, he's never told me or showed me his bank account, but a billions. And uh, you couldn't find his name anywhere. And he is one of the most interesting humans to talk to because- it is a one-of-one -one conversation and none of it is regurgitation. And so I think it's important that people are on the internet like you because otherwise you have a lot of humans who only do chase fame. And that's not, the, the universe abhors a vacuum. So they're going to fill it with more Kardashians or they're going to fill it with builders. And actually no hate to them because they're builders now too, but maybe not the world that I want to see exactly. Right. I get that. I'm a little obsessed with Kim Kardashian. I'm yeah. not going to lie. And when she lit the internet on fire by saying, maybe you just need to work harder. I was like, yes, yes, motherfucker. People need to work harder. I could not believe that that was controversial. I I agree with that. I statement. stand by, I stand in solidarity with, with Kim the Kardashians. Kardashian. With Kim. I don't know the rest well enough, but I will say that, yes, it it is what she has built is very impressive. I agree now, with that. How are we all supposed to feel that it started from a sex tape? I don't I know. I don't care about that. I think like 
that sucks that somebody did that to her or that it got out. I don't know. That, that's like, I'm a, I don't care. I'm not a Puritan. I think I'm more just like, oh, do I really think, and I use it, so what the fuck, you know, do I think we need more makeup brands or more like clothing brands everywhere? Interesting. To me, that's a brand play. And so that's all psychology, which I'm, I'm all for. I don't have any beef with that. And I really don't have beef with social media and leveraging that. Yeah. There, there is something at the edges. I've not taken the time to dive into this. So I'm really sort of spouting off right now. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably good. But that I haven't thought about yeah, it. Yeah. This well, isn't at the I don't top know. of your like to there's, list. There, she did, um, a friend of mine, Matt Higgins, does a class at uh, Harvard Business School every year. Oh, yeah. and he invited her in yeah. to be a case study. And I actually thought that makes a lot of sense to me. Dude, me too. So in the modern era, but there, yeah, I get it. There, There's something at the edges that I... Well, and maybe not even that. I think, um, I think it's cool that humans are building in public. And I think anytime you have people that have built multiple billion dollar businesses, not to mention just one billion dollar mm -hmm. business, there is something to learn there. And you're crazy to be a moral absolutist and say, I got nothing to learn because it started from a sex tape. Correct. How many sex tapes are out there? And they're not billionaires. Yeah. So Correct. there's fucking something to learn there. Um, so I would take a master class from her and her larger bank account any day. Um, but I do think... Uh, I do think what I would like to see a little bit more of are like more people like you, more people like, um, you know, Andy Frisella, more people like, um, you know, that are building something that I think is super America focused, that I think has like the mission and values. I'm I'm more of a mission and values mm. sort of human in this world today. If you want a fighting chance against the competition, you need to be using the best technology and platforms in the world like Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. Now, I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy for you to start, run, and grow your business. It didn't used to be this easy. I'm telling you, back in the day, it was a lot harder. I'm so jealous. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly and efficiently choose Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash impact now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash impact. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. That's interesting. That is almost certainly the thing that bothers me. I don't know that there's a mission. I don't know. Yeah. I have not looked. Uh, but I, it does not radiate out from what they create. Thank you for putting your finger on what bothers yeah. me. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. We are living in a time where I think it's, it's, I would never have been an entrepreneur in any other era because for me, the only thing that allows me to work this hard is I have to hold a people, a small group of people that I actually know and love and show up every day fighting for them. So at Quest, it was fighting for my mom and my sister. They were morbidly obese. I wanted to make food that they could choose based on taste. And it happened to be good for them. And so I was willing to fight for that. I was willing to make choices that cost me hundreds of millions of dollars in order to just, well, this is either going to help them or it's not. This decision makes me more money. This decision actually helps them. Um, and so I was really proud of that. Uh, with impact theory, it, it is again, a very small group of people. And unfortunately I've been to one of their funerals already and that's fucking heartbreaking. Um, but just the changes he made in his life before just car accident, just fucking dumb. But, um, watching him change his life was unbelievable. And it was just an incredible reminder of how this stuff really works. But when you have that mission, that leaks out, hopefully through the choices that you make, the products that you build and that. We're living in an era where that's also great marketing. Yeah. It's hard to beat obsession. You know, you can have all the tactics and tools and money and leg up. But if somebody is obsessed with the thing they're spending every day building, they're hard to beat because they'll just work longer. They'll sacrifice more. And uh, you, I do think that your success level often is tied to the sacrifice that you're willing to give. It doesn't mean you have to work 100 hours a week, um, but it does mean you need to sacrifice a lot if you want to achieve massive success. And I think anybody who says you don't probably has never played the game. No, there's no way. Yeah. There, there is no way. Yeah. Uh, everyone has to fight against entropy. Yeah. And so I won't say that nobody ever got, you know, didn't get lucky. Of course, some people have gotten lucky, but that's just going to be such a minor, 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 minor thing. But the thing that's fascinating sitting down across from you, who is a fellow builder, is that you actually know how to do this. So what I want to do now is go, okay, look, we've talked mindset. Hopefully people understand that money isn't what you thought. It's actually more powerful, but it's different. Yeah. Uh, you really can do this. Um, it really is about pulling back the curtain. It's about understanding psychology, knowing how the world works, understanding how to insert yourself into it. But to do that for anybody at home, that's like, okay, I want to do this, but now let's get into the real tactics. So that obsession becomes a set of skills. It yeah. really is that simple. And how do people, I think it's really twofold. One, how do they know which mountain to climb it might be worth telling that oh so wonderful story. Yeah. And then once they know what mountain to climb, let's really get into the how doth one climb a business mountain. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, 
I think we all missed the class in high school where they taught us to know thyself, you know, Oracle at Delphi style. But I do think nice reference. By yeah, the that was way. good. Was that was that, was that highbrow? Very elite of you. <laughs> uh, Ryan Holiday would be proud. I feel like that was very, very stoic of me. He's already leaving a comment in the feed. I can feel it. <laughs> uh, so, I think, um, man, if I could have gone back and done something different, that would have gotten me out of working in corporate jobs that I didn't really like for like twelve years, um, even though I was accumul- I was stacking cash as I was doing it. What would have changed that for me would have been if I had thought more about who am I and what do I want? And so if anybody listening hasn't actually written down consistently, I mean, I did it daily, you can do it weekly, monthly, but you know, what are the things that I like doing every single day? What am I actually uniquely skilled at? What do people come to me for advice on? What do I do and focus on even when I'm never paid a dollar and nobody's watching? Mm, That one's big. You know, what are the things that I find so interesting that I become obsessed with them. And it's like they talk about that flow state. The whole world just goes warm and you're just, you're narrowed in. And maybe even your family's annoyed because you won't shut up about this one thing that you're doing all the time, right? Where can you find those things? And as you narrow in as those, they don't have to become, I think a lot of people then go video games. It's like, no, 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 be more granular than that. Is it, wow, I get obsessed with the characters or I really like thinking about the technology on it or I kind of understand how this video game grew this much. Try to get really granular. And I wish I had done that earlier because then I could have found games that I actually wanted to play. I was too scared that I didn't have some big startup idea like yours. I didn't have any ideas. I just was like, I want to work hard. I want to make money. I want to do what I like to do. Can we pause on that for a second? Yeah. So one thing I heard you say in another interview, and I was like, oh my God, know thyself. As you said, you said, um, I'm never going to have the next idea about a music app or whatever. That's just not me. And I was like, whoa, because people want to be cool. They want to be the person with the big ideas. Everybody thinks they want to be the CEO, but not everybody's wired for that. And then even if they are, they may not be a product led CEO. Maybe they're a people led CEO or a process CEO, whatever, but- Not everybody has to be in that same thing. But once you own, okay, that's not me. Now you can start narrowing your focus to what your strategy is going to be. And that's the cool thing about you is that you really have taken a super unique path to generating, I repeat, just under $100 million a year as bananas. So the fact that you were able to do that in a unique path, but it's born out of finally going, oh, I'm just going to be honest about who I really am and what I actually respond to. The question I tell people to ask themselves along those lines is when you're trying to figure out what it is that you want to do, first of all, who is it you want to serve? Mm-hmm. Because you'll never fight hard enough unless you're serving somebody. Yep. But what is the thing that you're prepared to become the best in the world at? Because if you're just prepared to get good, you'll get crushed. But, and look, you're probably never going to actually become the best, but when you think about that, you know, that's going to be ungodly difficult. And then at least you're approaching the problem, honestly. Yeah. Well, actually my husband has us do this incredible thing that I love, which is instead of saying, what do I want? What are my goals? It's what do I want? And what am I willing to sacrifice to get it? Preach. And so he has me do this with him every year because I'm the workaholic. He's actually balanced. Really? Yeah, I know. Which is to say that about a Navy SEAL feels like off. I was going to say. <laughs> it's like, now you know how fucked up I am. But, uh, you know, he he is not singularly driven by money and the creation of an empire. And mm. I am. 
Interesting. Um, and I'm not driven by money in my pocket because I basically deploy all of it. I was going to say, usually. for anybody that's looked into your background, that is very clear. Yeah. But uh, but I just find it fascinating. I want to just build this huge thing. I want the billion it's dollar power. business. It's control. Yeah, must be. And I also just think it's fun. It's my favorite thing. If I have to talk about the weather or PTA meetings, I'm going to just. Now, are you uh, like the Oracle of Omaha where it's like <laughs> literally just yeah. a scoreboard thing? Mm. No, I think I will get to a certain point um, where there'll be a new game. Like he has, we've talked about this before, he has singular focus for decades. I mean, I I told this story on Twitter once, but I sat next to this guy on a plane. I actually think if you have enough cash to do it, first class, even today, where everybody's posting about their private jets or whatever, first class today is one of the best investments you can make if you sit and talk with some of the other people in first class, except not me, because I hate talking to people on planes. I'm going to say facts. If you see yeah, me. Facts. Yeah, you can say hi. That's lovely. <laughs> but I want to talk to the whole flight. But what's fascinating is if you get to the generation above ours, so let's call it 50, 60, 70, 80. I was flying back from somewhere in France. must have been Caen or Nice. And uh, I was flying to the UK. And I sat next to this guy, Joffrey Kent, who created Abercrombie and Kent. You remember that company? I don't. Luxury travel company. First oh. company that created those safari uh, tent Bougie. experience. Very, right. Nice. He grew up with nothing in South Africa, built up these safari tent companies by himself, then created the, one of the largest luxury travel companies in the world. Uh, friends with the King of England now, like Damn. fancy. Billions, billionaire. And anyway, he was flying next to me, which I thought was kind of interesting. I was like, huh, like thought he'd be on a jet. And he's like, I like to fly commercial. I'm like, all right. We get to talking and I'm like, all right, you ran Abercrombie and Kent. You sold it twice, once for a billion dollars and then going to sell it again and probably for another X and bought it back. Um, I'm like, what That's was the secret? There. Yeah, he's fascinating. Um, I was like, what is what do you think the secret is? Like you did this for 60 years, like billions in in um, in valuation. And he's like, well, he's like 60 years plus the same thing. It's like time plus consistency beats everything else. And I was like, God, that's so true and not what people want to hear. Because most people hear, oh, you could be a billionaire at 97 years old like Warren Buffett. No, thanks. I'd rather have my crypto millions today. And they think they think. But I sit there and listen to that. And I'm like, this is fascinating. Like, what if the only thing that separates a billionaire and you is time of working really hard on a particular thing, plus consistency of doing that thing and getting better and iterating every single day. That means that we have a much more even playing field than I think people will tell you today. It compounds. There's no doubt. We were talking before we started rolling. This is my mental illness. I, I really, really, I have a very hard time narrowing my focus. Yeah. And I am so keenly aware that narrowing my focus will give me better results. But the problem is I'm also a human. And so I have to love my life. Yeah. And so when I'm very envious of people like my wife, for whom the thing she wants to spend her time doing and becoming the best at, she loves from top to bottom. Yeah. And so she's just all about it. I, there, thankfully, it's not like I have seven things that I'm trying to do, but I have two and I cannot seem to stop myself. They're tied, but there, there is a big enough gap that I'm well aware. If I would just do like media, be in front of the camera, yep. or I would just do uh, storytelling game development, my life would be better. It, it would be more productive in either direction. 
And only mental illness stops me from doing that. And I mean that very sincerely. I'm not happy about that. Uh, but at least know thyself. I know that yeah. about myself. We do things in the company to protect us from yeah. that. Do thing. you think, why, why do you think that that's bad? Like Warren Buffett has multiple things and is one of the richest men in the world. Does he? Because he, as far as I know, and I may just not know, but as far as I know, he's, he is purely investing. He finds he, if, if you abstract out to what he understands how to do is recognize a deal when he sees it, that's it. As far as I can tell, that's all Warren Buffett knows how to do. That plus operate. I don't know. I don't know him well enough to know if, if he operates. Maybe From you what just I need heard, a Charlie Munger. He doesn't operate. Like, did you ever hear the Charlie Munger quote that's, um, he said, uh, oh, it might not have been Charlie. It might have been his mentor. He said, um, you know, the difference between good leaders and bad leaders is uh, when I hire a dog, I don't do the barking for it. And Wow, that's good. And I thought that has really driven a lot of my business building mm. is realizing I'm like you. I'm in some ways, I, I like I like hands in pots, which is not very good for focus. Um, but what I found is that there are a lot of people who are singular focus individuals who do incredibly well with one thing in front of them. Mm. And so those end up being my number twos. And, you know, you've built massive wealth. So you're obviously very good at focus too. But sometimes I wonder, like, is there just one way? I mean, Maybe there is a main thing and a side piece. I really think there are physics. Yeah. I, I think that whoever you point to, oh God, I'm going to ruin my own example here. Cause I yeah. was going to say, except for Elon Musk, like it's freakish, but I, so here's Bezos, what I think. Blue origin. Yes. But the vast majority of his career was just yeah. focused on Amazon. It wasn't until he started really starting to pull away and he had so many of the world's most talented people working for him. Uh -huh. Um, and my problem isn't putting my hand in too many pots because I don't want to do people's jobs. I am not a micromanager. Yeah. As I tell people, if I'm micromanaging you, it's because you're not delivering results. I don't yeah. want to pay attention to you. Yeah. What I want to do is the part I like, yeah. the part that I'm uniquely good at. That's all I want to focus at. And if I'm getting results in other areas, amazing. The problem is when you're the CEO, you have a bigger responsibility. You have to paint vision. You have to keep people excited. Yeah. Anyway, um, I, I have a feeling that even Elon Musk there, I mean, look, there might be networking things that work for him, but I have a feeling each one of his companies would be better off if he gave it 100% of his time and focus. It's just that he is such a freak yeah. and the rate at which he can think yep. and also of his own admission, he's not the CEO of many of his companies. He's usually the lead product and engineer guy. Yeah, And so his mind just seems to work very, very fast. So there's some level of what's the speed at which you think and how many tasks do you take on? So for instance, if I could think faster, which would not be a stretch, I am not a fast thinker. I'm a fast talker who yeah. thinks slowly and deeply mm. about a lot of subjects. And so I confuse people who think I'm a fast, uh, fast thinker, but I'm not. So if I could think faster, then I could have more output across more things, but I can't. Yeah. And so alas, it, it, it really is holding us back. So anyway, getting into the, the tactical side here. So you need to be, you need to know yourself. You need yeah. to know what your skill set is. You need to be very careful not to misalign your particular skill set with the way that you contribute. But the cool thing when you realized, okay, I'm not going to come up with the next, next business idea. I'm going to go buy a business. How did you begin to build a criteria 
because you have so many specific criteria from your get rich tripod to your deal valuations have to meet certain criteria. Yeah. Like you've really systematized this stuff. How did you, in the beginning when you didn't have any of that, yeah. how did you begin to formulate it? Uh, I have a very bad memory. And so, you and um, me both. yeah. So one of the worst things about a bad memory is you can't remember things. One of the best things is you have to processize everything and that frameworks and memes or, um, you know, sp specific vernacular actually help you remember. And so the reason that I have the get rich tripod and, you know, my deal box and, you know, our rules and thesis for investing is because I have to remember, otherwise I do bad deals. And so I think one of the superpowers you can have, have is as you're going on your journey, what I had to do, I didn't mean to do it, was document these frames that I lived by. Because one, when you're in charge, you got to communicate it to people. So I would go, hey, what kind of businesses do we buy? And they'd say like BRT, right? we buy boring businesses that are recession resistant. We raise the prices. We add technology. Is the business that you're putting in front of me a BRRT business? No, it's not. Okay, go find another one. Um, and so I would use it to communicate to people and to really communicate with myself, which is half the shit on my Twitter. It's like yelling at Cody. Um, and uh, probably, I don't know if you're the same. But exactly the same. Yeah. Like when people are like, oh man, like you're being so hard on people. I'm like, bro, I am talking to myself. <laughs> it's, it's a whole, all to reminder. At some point, I'll have to just be like lessons to Cody and it'll just be my Twitter feed. Um, but I like to framework them out for that reason. And the way that you do that is just by taking inventory. I make so many mistakes all the time, even like 15, 16 years into doing deals. I just had a deal go bad last month. And I'm like, God, you'd think I'd figure this out by now. And every time that happens, I have a post uh, op. So just like after you have surgery or after you have a game, you sit down and you analyze what went well and what went wrong. We do that for every single deal we do that goes sideways. We, do you have a structure for that? Are you yes. running them against the BRRT or? We run them against our entire investing framework. So we usually have something called due diligence questions. So it's called a DDQ. And we, we build out our DDQ list is now gigantic and it's graded. So like what's most important to what's least important. And then we look at these deals and we say, what did we learn? And so in this most recent deal, I realized, gosh, I have a flaw with partners. I pick bad partners if these characteristics are mm. there. If they're friends of mine already, I let them in and I skip a bunch of stuff in the DDQ. Yeah. So now I go, oh, okay, now I have a new rule. And the rule is no new friends. You know, I don't do deals <laughs> with new people uh, until we've been together for a long time. Otherwise, they go to this other person on my team and they run them through the typical due diligence because I have a weak spot there. And so everything that I'm doing, it's just like, you know, when you play a sport, um, you know, or when you when you do a video game, like you go through and you're like, what went wrong there? Oh, I can't step out here because then the car hits me or like I can't do can't go out to the left because that means the guy's going to get there. He's faster than I am. And I think we don't do that enough in business. So I am nonstop action, analyze, action, analyze, document. And as long as you do that AAD, then I find that I can kind of continuously make better decisions. That's really helpful. How much time do you spend on the um, either the the creation of these documents and going through them? Mm -hmm. I guess not or and and then when you're doing the breakdown at the end, because mm -hmm. running a company takes so much yeah. time and energy. Yeah. When I was researching you, I had overwhelming sense of guilt because I'm like, oh, God, you do a lot of things that I should be doing. And I was like, where the fuck does she find the time for all this? So, yeah. How much time do you spend on that analysis? I let a lot of things go by the wayside. One of the most important things I keep reminding myself is that no 
is an actually wonderful word. No is an incredible word to use more often. And so is the ignore button. You know, I got a lot of shit on Twitter because I posted like, leave your text messages unread. Um, I don't respond to a lot of text messages. I don't respond to a ton of emails. Um, I don't take phone calls. You can't pay me enough money. Somebody reached out with like a number that I thought was crazy to just to test, you know, test my resolve, I guess, for an hour phone call. And I was like, no, I just, I don't do it because I will get distracted too quickly. And I'm a golden retriever. I want to chase tennis balls, right? All over the place. And so um, a lot of mine is I let low level stuff fly all the time. And uh, that's one. And then two, I think I just have gotten in this process of continuously each week because I'm a writer, writing this stuff down. That's my favorite part about content is it makes it gives me like the right to do recaps and post-ops because I turn it into content then. It's one of my favorite reasons for getting on the internet. So every single week when we have our investment committee and I learn something new or a deal goes bad and I'm writing the newsletter for next week or I'm writing more content for our business buying group, it's real time what's happening to me in our businesses. And I don't think I could do content and running the businesses if the two weren't intermingled. At the same That's time. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Like, cause you don't talk as much about the stuff that you're building right now from like a behind the scenes perspective, like document as opposed to create mm. content. And I'm, re I really push our team. I mean, my guy's here somewhere. Um, Spencer, sup? Uh, because, uh, because I was like, I'm, we can't be creating these stories all the time. What, what are we doing in our life right now that we can just document because we're actually real builders. We're not just like creators creating bullshit stories online all day. We're building. Let's talk about that. It's way more interesting than some fake story that we make up based on the news. And so now we try to balance between the two, but I would love, like I told, I was telling Andy Frisella that the other day, I'm like, dude, I had no idea you did this in your company. You did this. Like you don't talk about any of that stuff online. Um, cause I would love to hear more about that from you. I hear it about quest, which is how I know a lot about your background. Mm. But today, even we were talking, I'm like, yeah, we, what do we do for a living? We make TikToks. And you're like, actually, I'm doing these six other things that I had no idea about. Yeah. Lisa is unbelievably good at that. She loves doing that. Yeah. For me, I'm not joking when I say from the moment I wake up. Yeah. So imagine I'm awake. I will. I did this this morning. So I have an episode with you today. I am still in bed, which I give myself 10 minutes to get out of bed, but I'm still in bed. I realize I'm awake. I reach over. I already have my headphones on, which is a whole nother story. <laughs> and I turn off my book right now about uh, Winston Churchill. And I already had an episode with you queued up. And ironically, it was you and Andy Frazella. Oh, yeah. And start listening to that. I get out of bed. I brush my teeth all while listening to that. So from the moment I wake up, until the moment I either go go to bed or if it's a moment where I'm trying to get some time with my wife, till the moment I spend time with my wife, I I am working on something. Yeah. And so I have I have a real problem being pulled off a task that yeah. drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, the social team would be like, oh, just real quick, let's turn it into like an Instagram post. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I this. So first of all, Building a video game is the hardest thing I've ever done. And so oftentimes I'm like, my head is thumping and yeah. I'm like dealing with shit. And the last thing I want to have to do is turn to the camera and be like, okay, let me tell you what we're doing. It's like, <laughs> I'm getting my face kicked in right now. And uh, it probably would make amazing content though. So we yeah. actually are trying to build that team up because the my team has been haranguing me yeah. to show more of that side. So 
Well, and even, I mean, one thing that I, I think I'm stealing from Jay Shetty, I was chatting with him the other week, but I liked, I was expecting from a monk, like a lot of like love and touchy feely stuff. And he actually gave me some tactical stuff that I thought was really interesting. And, um, and I really liked him, but he, he, one thing that he liked, he's like, um, I have efficient and effective days. And I have heard before, like, content days versus building days. And that never resonated with me because I'm like a whole day on content. Like, I don't know about that. That makes me want to die. And I'm like, but this efficient versus effective, I thought was interesting because he's basically like, I would, I would block segments of my time where I know that like, if I do the 20% thing that drives 80%, um, the day is successful. And he's like, and on those days where I know that I am having, he says on his effective days, so the days where it's just like to-do list, to-do list, to-do list, to-do list, is the days that he allows content documentation. Because those are the days where your brain is like less, you're not big picture thinking. So that helped me a little bit. So now I have a half day on Thursday each week where I'm doing a lot of, like I'll, I'll put all the contracts I have to review and one-off, you know, people issues that are just lower level but have to be handled only by me Mm. on that day and on that day we'll also do content and so i'll be working on stuff and they'll have ideas in between me doing more monotonous stuff Mm. um anyway works for me but you know you could try it on yeah it's interesting so i've tried many things with my calendar and this is one thing just refocusing on the tactics you've got to get your calendar right like if you don't maintain uh, if your calendar doesn't reflect your actual priorities, you're in real trouble. So I keep a list that I call important things. Yeah. And the important things are what is the most important thing that I could be working on right now? And I will just tell any, any stage entrepreneur, but certainly beginning stage entrepreneurs, you're going to have trouble prioritizing. And the reason you're going to have trouble prioritizing is because you think you're dumb. But in reality, the problem is no one's good at prioritizing until they've done it a lot. Mm-hmm. And then you begin to get a sense of, okay, this is the, to quote Tim Ferriss, this is the lead domino. If I do this thing, it'll make everything that comes after it easier. So yeah. you'll start to identify those things. And you're going to do those until you can't do them anymore, either from fatigue or there's just nothing more to do. And now you're waiting for somebody to come back to you, whatever. Then you move on to the second thing. But I find everybody gets paralyzed by, I don't know what to put in first place. Mm -hmm. And so now you have seven things in first place. And so I, and I constantly fight with my team about this. You stop fucking being weak. Like what's number one? Like you're allowing yourself to be emotionally paralyzed because you're like, oh, it's all important. Yes, motherfucker, but you can only execute on one thing at a time. So what's that one thing? And so I'm just ruthless about that. So the beginning of my day, so I'm up usually at four, 4.30 in the morning. I don't Mm -hmm. let anybody on my schedule until 9 a.m., 9.30 if I can push it. And then I don't let anybody on my schedule after 1 p.m. I like that. So there's a narrow window where I've already gotten four to five hours worth of work in the beginning. So I'm Mm -hmm. doing my most important shit, all execution. Mm -hmm. Then I take meetings. I make sure everybody's moving and they have whatever questions they need answered. And then I'm fucking in it. I'm in product and I'm in marketing. Those are the two things I'm just like obsessively focused Mm -hmm. about. And so I'm available. I'm with the team, which by the way, I'm going to guess because of how many businesses you own, you don't operate like this during COVID. I was like, word, go wherever you want. You can move away. No big deal. Now I'm like, motherfucker, you better get in the office. Like we are back in a big way. It is so inefficient. It's to so not beneficial. have people here. Yeah. Well, we, we just bought an office in Austin for the same reason. I've especially found, you know, I have an incredible team because they'll tell me, they'll be really honest about it. Like one of the guys on my team who runs part of the creative thing, he's like, yeah, I'm just, I just don't work as hard when I'm not in the office. I'm yeah, like, I can't no believe you just said that to my face, yeah. but also thank you. Right. And, uh, and, and I think it's true because most, 
all of us have willpower issues and all of us can benefit from a little eye over the shoulder. And the reason why I think we can really benefit is because I remember when I was at Goldman Sachs and they were watching us like crazy, I was never on social media. I was never dicking off because I wanted to get out of that office. I knew I was going to have to do long hours and I wanted to get out of there when Mm. I was done. I never understood the Silicon Valley foosball, make them stay here all the time thing. I'm like, come here. Give it intense, maybe do a workout break or a walk in between, come back to intense and then go live your life, you know? And if you're like me, you're going to work way more than that. But like, be here when you're going to be here. Like, think about work like meditation. You should be so singularly focused that all distraction sort of fades away. And if you do that, then you actually have to you have to work less because you're so much more effective. But I remember early on in my career. You know, it's why I couldn't stay at Vanguard, actually, because I was sitting at a desk and I was trying. I was like, you know, those ducks where underneath the surface they're paddling like crazy, Mm. but on top they're smooth. That was me. I was drowning. I didn't know anything about finance. I'd come from journalism. I everybody was smarter than me. Everybody went to Harvard and Stanford, et cetera. I went to Arizona State, Harvard of the West, as you said. Um, And uh, and. I remember one of the my teammates came up and was trying to talk to me about lunch planning and stuff. And I was like, Cece, I, I'm focused. I don't have time to talk about any of this. I'm, I'm here, man. We could talk like after work, but like I'm here right now. And that happened like a few times. And I wasn't be, trying to be a jerk. I just couldn't be distracted because then I lost my focus entirely. And I probably have a little ADHD. And so it would derail me for like 30, 40 minutes. And I remember that happened. And then my boss at one point was like, your team thinks that you would leave dead bodies behind you. And I was like, huh, really? Why? They're like, well, you don't pay attention when they come up to your desk. You don't do party planning. I was like, guy, I am here to do a job. And I am going to, I would never like run over somebody to do the job, but I will be singularly focused to get it done. And so that is, I think, what it takes. Have you backed off that? Or are you, because now as a CEO, I have to imagine, yeah, you got to make people feel a little more warm and fuzzy. Or have you found a way to be like, yo, I have good people who are more warm and fuzzy than I am. So I found in life, like you are who you are, kind of. And every time I try to become somebody that I'm not, first of all, it comes off as inauthentic. And second of all, it doesn't really work. So if I come in and I'm too warm and fuzzy, nobody's going to buy it. Um, I am fun, I think. Like I'm aggressive, but I'm fun. So I'll, I'll make jokes. And I do something every Monday called the, the compass. And basically, it's just a little PowerPoint. 10 minutes that I give to the whole team. And in it are a few things like our culture code. Every single week, I go through what the 13 values are. I pick like one, one person who wins like something for one of our values. Um, And in that, there'll be some funky, fun stuff for each of them. And so I will like, I will cheerlead the shit out of the company during that period. Um, But when somebody needs a hug, they know not to come to me about it for sure. Um, Now, I think the counterpoint to that is, I've always taken care of my people. Like as long as you are good to your teammates and to the company, like I will have your back. Like if you need a new job and this isn't the place for you, I will help you find a new job. I won't fire you. Like I will handhold you. Um, You know, if you have a health issue, I'm going to take care of you. But like, I don't think you have to be warm and fuzzy. I also hire like a lot of, we're we're really honest about who we are in interviews, which I think is really, really. And if, if you you know, I was a terrible employee at Vanguard because they're super touchy feely, you know, kind of socialists. And I liked Goldman. I liked capitalist kind of jerks, but they were really smart. And uh, so I liked that. I wanted the pressure. 
And so now when people come and interview with us, I'm like, hey, like, talk to me about like your favorite moment of pressure. Talk to me about when you did the thing that felt unreasonable to get the goal. And I tell them up front, our interviews start with all the things that are terrible about the company and why I'm awful to work for. And if they still like it after that, then they might be a win. But otherwise, at least they know, you know. If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. We have a very similar thing. So it's our yeah. culture doc. You can't come into interview unless you've read it. Oh, I and like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the funny thing is uh, I've had multiple people say, hey, we've lost a lot of candidates when they read the culture doc. And I'm like, that's the point because I want them to know who we are. And if you're not about that life, then this is not the place for you. I, I am trying to win a championship. Yeah. Nothing short. I'm not trying to be an also ran. I'm not trying to play and get a participation trophy. I'm flat out. I'm trying to beat Disney. Yeah. And that that is a big task. And the odds of success are very low. And so I want to have fun, but I also want to be surrounded by hardcore motherfuckers that are here to win. Yeah. And the document says exactly that. Oh, I love and that. Uh, yeah, it is very aggressive. And so, yeah, we have weeded people out. But what I always say to the people saying like, hey, are we sure like this thing is really aggressive? I'm like, it found you. Yeah. I'm like, what's your favorite thing about this company? The people? Exactly. Like we are a very specific flavor. Oh, yeah. And if you like our flavor, I like to think we're like black licorice, which I love. <laughs> now, I know for some people that is the most disgusting <laughs> thing in the universe. And so I'm like, but we're that kind of specific for the right person. Like we will be the favorite place you've ever worked. And for the wrong person, we will be trash. So for any of my entrepreneurs out there, let me tell you right now, culture is one of the most important things. Product market fit, more important. Yeah, great. Make more money than you spend, more important. Agree. But then like culture is going to be a huge deal for retention, for employees enjoying what they do, for you getting things done in a way that you're proud of. Like, as I always say to people, hey, Lisa and I ran the experiment of what it looks like when you don't have the right culture and it's ass. Yeah. And we hated it as much as anybody else. Yeah. And not liking being at your own company, that's really lame. Oh, that's awful. And so when we founded Impact Theory, we're like, never again. Like culture is going to be a main thing that we hire against, that we hold people accountable to. Uh, we have something. Do you know Ray Dalio? Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I love this guy. So for people that don't know, he built the largest hedge fund in the world. Yep. Oh, amazing. And he has this thing in this culture that he calls dots. Mm -hmm. So everybody can give everybody else like a score on whatever, 30 different criteria. Yep. And so we have a bunch of those criteria that are part of our culture doc, like are people being hardcore? 
et cetera, et cetera. So we can all rank each other. I love that. You know what I find fascinating is the stuff when I was poor or not where I wanted that I ignored is the stuff that makes you millions and then tens of millions of dollars, mm -hmm. like culture, like leadership. I used to think, what? Like, I'm just here. I get a job done. I want to get rich. I want to do the thing. This is how it goes. And so, you know, I think it's really interesting. Whenever I'm with builders who have built a lot, they all want to talk about the same stuff. It's like, how do you get more humans to want to do the things you want them to do? Culture, leadership. And if people want to have real success and you want to do it in a way where you're not killing yourself all day, those two words are like two of the most important words in the English language. What's funny is I'm sure if we did a YouTube video and the title was how to build a hundred million dollar culture, people would be like snooze. But if you're like how to make a million dollars with the vending machines in 30 days, fucking right. millions of views. But guess Facts. what? The one on the left, the, the, the first one, hundred million dollar culture is so much more valuable than the vending machine video. And so if you can push through what the world wants you to listen to, which is literally the candy, the vending machine, the sweets, and you can actually want to eat the broccoli. Oh my gosh, that's where all the magic is. Um, it's actually funny because I, I was sitting with this the other day. I went to team three of the Navy SEALs 40th uh, anniversary um, of being in existence, Whoa. right? It's cool. So this was the, the team that my husband was at. And uh, we go onto the new base. It's incredible. Like we take a tour through, you know, these halls where like our friends, their gear when they were, you know, killed in action is sitting there. And my husband, Oof. a flag with his name written on it that was like taken away from ISIS and Whoa. showed our. Yeah, it was just incredible. Right. That's heavy. It was it was really cool. It was cool to see the steps that land from from people that you've known before. But what stuck with me from a business perspective is we're sitting, we're looking out at the ocean, it's beautiful. And we're sitting listening to uh, five people speak, Admiral McRaven, who's probably one of the most, um, you know, well respected uh, living team guys. Uh, can't, it's Johnny Kim. Um, anyway, um, both a Navy SEAL and an astronaut and a doctor. Jesus. I mean, total underperformer. Yeah, not and, doing anything <laughs> yeah, in his life. Exactly. Um, Some people. Yeah, and the current head of, of Team 3, what was fascinating is you had Admiral McRaven. He gave this incredible speech, right? Like best-selling author, one of the most senior guys in the military. You had the head of the team. You had uh, overachiever uh, Johnny Kim, astronaut, doctor, et cetera. But then at the very end, you had what's called... Uh, this is CO, I think. Excuse me if anybody in the military is listening. I'm probably fucking this up. But he's like the head enlisted guy. So there's officers and then there's the enlisted guys. And they work hand in hand. But um, the chief uh, enlisted guy is a badass. So I won't say his name because I don't know what's public or not. But um, anyway, he at the very end of this like couple hour long segment, it's emotional. They're, you know, mentoring some of the people that have died. I was looking at it from a team perspective and from an inspiration perspective. And all of these speeches were like relatively formal. They were good. But at the very end, he comes up and he uh, has 12, seven or 12 team guys in full kits. So like machine gun or AR or something all decked out with their gear, helmets on, and they go and they line up on the other side. And so it's like very jarring, right? You see them walk across the island. And, uh, and what they are is they each represent members of the team that were killed in action. 
over the years. And what was incredible is he closed out the ceremony and they would yell out the name of of the person who was killed. So it'd be like, you know, Brandon Looney. And then everybody would yell, hoorah, right? They yell really loud. And then they'd shoot off the machine gun. And so by the end of it, everybody's crying, everybody's yelling. And that guy had set the tone. He wasn't the leader. He wasn't the highest member of the team. But if there was one speech and one person you remembered and one person who everybody there, 600 people would say is like the epitome of what they wanted team three to be, it was that guy. And, um, and I think about that a lot because people sometimes think you got to be the CEO. You got to be McRaven. You got to be the head of the team. But like this guy was what they call the heart and soul of the team. And I think that that is something really important to take with you for the members of your team and for the people listening who aren't at the top. Like you don't have to be at the top to be the person that everybody goes to. And that stuck with me ever since that day. It's really powerful. So as somebody who walked a very unconventional path, started with nothing, like how do you walk that path? How do you go from being that guy to running something? You know, this, this, uh, I think this guy's an interesting one to stay on for a second. Um, you know, we have a saying, we do the work. Um, I, I think it's a well-known saying. We just say it at contrarian thinking too. Um, but I think one of the ways that people don't realize is super easy to get ahead is there's two things. Curse of competence, which means there are actually very few competent, hardworking, driven people in this world, way more than I think people realize. And you've seen it before. Like you've seen when somebody goes 10% more than the norm. It's pretty rare, mm. actually. Like how many people have you had come in here and not impress you? Just be kind of like everybody else. Yeah. And then you notice the guy who's like, oh, no, he's here before everybody else. Oh, he stays a little bit later than everybody else. Could be 10 minutes on both ends. Oh, he like submitted a brief and an update without being asked. Like do the work. Uh, be that one competent human in a ocean of humans who are complacent instead of competent. And then the second thing I think that surprised me about how easy, quote unquote, easy it was to succeed is that um, most people say they want things, but they say it almost like hopes instead of wills. And so, you know, my husband and I kind of talk about this a lot. We're like, like, do you want it or are you going to do it? And he has this annoying saying he always says to me, which is like, you know, are you a good white shark or are you a great white shark? And he says it to me. <laughs> <laughs> he says it to me often when we're working out, which is when I really want to murder him. Um, but it's it's like a little family motto. Like, are you going to be kind of OK and good? Or are you going to be great? Mm. And the difference between good and great is 10 percent and nobody strives for it. And so for people listening, I mean, I don't know. Look, like, how easy is that? Be there 10% earlier and stay 10% later than, some, than everybody else at your company for six months. Like, watch what happens. And if that doesn't get noticed at that company, go to the next one. Or build the next company in the 10 minutes that you're there in the beginning and the end. Mm -hmm. So what I did at Goldman Sachs. I got recognized by the most senior director. And then I had multiple job opportunities after that. I wasn't smarter than anybody else. I didn't go to any fancy schools. I didn't have an MBA then. But I worked slightly harder than everybody else. I was competent. And I did a little bit more than everybody else. And that was it. When somebody's aggressive, 
when they are working harder than other people, when you can tell they want it, there's, it's a joy to be around. Like there really is something. And I talk about this a lot. Like, don't make me drag you. Don't make me drag you. I'll drag you across the finish line if I have to, because I am going to succeed. But God damn, like if you can make me sweat, that's thrilling. When I'm around people that I'm like, whoa, all right, look at this person. Like they're really showing up. They're playing to win. It's intoxicating. It's just for the right person. For me, that's a thrill to be around. I love that so much. And it really will get people a lot farther than they think. Yeah, I agree. Now, how did you actually start learning? Like, do you have a process for how you learned all this stuff? Because you were just saying earlier, you're now a finance person. Like you really understand the finance of a deal, but you weren't a finance person. Mm -mm. So you went from journalism to act like straight up Goldman Sachs. Obviously there was something in the middle, Mm -hmm. but like, how did you go down the process of learning something that you did not previously know at all? What I've been amazed by in life is that most people don't ask questions. They pretend like they know things. Yes. At the top, all the way to the bottom. Why? Because they they think that if they ask questions, they look dumb. Mm -hmm. And what I found is I was trained as a journalist to do one thing, ask questions. And actually, the better the question, the better the result as a journalist. That's all. That's the only thing. And so I never associated asking questions with with looking dumb. Mm. In fact... I don't care to this day. I ask stupid questions all the time. In fact, when we look at a deal, I'll often say, explain to me this like I'm six. And then if they bring me a very large deal, Sam Zell was famous for this. Uh, I'm a big Sam Zell fan. He wrote uh, the subtle, no, am I being too subtle? Famous, uh, they called him the grave dancer. And he was a grave dancer. Yeah, that's quite the name. Uh huh. He was famous for turnarounds of real estate businesses. Mm. So he would take them out of the grave. He, they would say danced on it, but uh, he would take these businesses that were going to fail and then turn them around and build them to something that's huge. Impressive. And um, and Sam just passed away, actually. And he uh, famously, when they would bring him a deal, like a you know some multi hundred million dollar deal they were going to do. Uh, one deal, they threw it in front of him, big deal, had a deal book, professional, all these stats and everything. And he just flipped it back to him. And he said, should we do the deal? And the guy's like, well, like, you know, I have 400 pages prepared here. And he goes, give this deal to me in a one page brief. And then Facts. I'll know you understand it. Facts. Facts. Yeah. And so it, important. Oh my God. I'm constantly telling people, say your thesis in a single sentence. Yeah. Because if you can't say it in a single sentence, you don't understand it. You don't understand it. And I realized this for myself too. In fact, if you want to get ahead quickly, I think, you know, associating yourself with people who already have the things that you want is really important. One of the easiest ways to do that back in corporate land was everybody fought for one job. And that was the chief of staff job. You wanted to be chief of staff to one of the senior leaders. And the reason why is because you learned one, what do they care about? And how do you learn what they care about from the daily briefs you put together for them? And so you actually got a way to steal their 10,000 hours by looking at the very few things that they looked at every day that determined what was important for them. And so briefing has become really important at my company and people get annoyed with me on this. I was going to say like, I need to do briefs like this. You need sounds, to do briefs. It sounds hot. I'm also, I did. There, let me tell you, there's nothing sexier than a hot brief. And uh, it's funny because my team the other day, there's this one woman in our team, I'll shout her out, Matilde, who does incredible briefs. And why does that matter? Because it shows me how you think. And the way that you think tells me how you work. And how you work tells me what you prioritize. Mm. And so these briefs are incredible. And 
the best way to learn them is you can actually see examples of uh, the president's daily brief. And who could have a more succinct, important daily brief than the president of the United States? And so a lot of my team will look at that. And they'll also look at briefs for some of the largest CEOs out there. Mm. And so um, if you have a team at all, get them in the habit of doing this. And uh, and that, I think, is an incredible skill to get good at. Yeah, I love that the most. Yeah, we, we will definitely be doing that. I'll send you some examples of what I have yeah, the team please. put together. That would be yeah. incredible. Yeah. Okay. So um, when you're going about learning something, for me anyway, it's really rudimentary. It's uh, I need to know the terms. Yeah. So that's going to be the first thing. So and in fact, mm-hmm. I went on a, a I went on a similar journey for a very different reason. So when COVID hit, I realized, ooh. The people, so going back to all my time in the inner cities, I was like, they're going to get obliterated. I didn't understand money printing yet. So yeah. I just thought they're uh, fucked. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I've got to find a really tactical, like personal finance vein to get people in on the show so that I can help. But I didn't understand finance at all. I'm good at making money. I'm not good at investing money. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to start learning about this, bringing people on all that starts with learning the lexicon figuring out who the players are and doing what I call reading in swarms. Now, reading could be YouTube, whatever. You're just taking a topic. You're trying to see it from as many different angles as humanly possible. Have you ever seen those like sculptures that are made out of trash, but you can only see what they are from like one specific angle? That's cool. Okay, that's life. Yeah. And so if you're looking at business from the wrong angle, it looks like this big, crazy mystery. And it looks like Klaus Schwab is, you know, the evil madman. He's going to take over. Yeah. You start twisting it around and you realize, oh, it's just a bunch of people who think that they're smarter than they are. And they really should learn to distrust themselves. But once it clicks into place and you realize that Steve Jobs was right and the world was created by people no smarter than you, then it's like, oh, I'm seeing how this really is. But to do that, you have to see it from a lot of different angles. So when I'm reading about a topic, I'm trying to get as many different perspectives on that thing as I can so that I can triangulate on what the truth really is. Then once I have that and I have a sense of what this is, I'll formulate my own hypothesis. Hypothesis will make predictions. Then I go test that prediction. Now, if that prediction is accurate, then I know that I'm actually understanding this. And this is whether you're talking about business or romance, boys and girls, your brain is a prediction engine. Once you realize that it is very hard to discern what is objectively true, very hard, even even at the level of physics, we don't know. So objective truth. So you get into perspective and interpretation. Okay, cool. But all of these things make a prediction. So I think if I do this, I'm going to get this outcome. Well, do it. If you got that outcome, then your understanding, your mental map of the world is pretty close. If you try it and you get something completely different, you need to understand your mental model is broken. So if you point to other people, oh, it's their fault. It's the economy's fault. No, no, no. You didn't understand something. That's why it broke. Because let's remind St. Kobe that booze don't block dunks. Doesn't matter how much somebody's trying to trip you up. Doesn't matter how bad the economy is. There is a solution to that puzzle. You just didn't find it. And so if you can own that, update your mental model and try again, just recognizing it as a prediction engine. So that's how I go in to learn any new thing. Does that sound roughly analogous Uh, to what you do? I actually think I am much dumber on this. So the way... I'm going to say (laughs) it isn't dumb. Whatever you're about to say, different perhaps. So uh, I'm much less scientific. So when I want to start learning something, I just go where the game is played. You get in. I just get in. And so what that would mean in the beginning was I didn't understand finance. 
I wasn't smart enough to do what you said, you know, read in swarms, go find a predictive. I was like, where are smart finance people? I guess this company called Vanguard that's located here. Could I get a job there? And I go, I bet if I get a job there. get the job though? Because they're going to be like, do you know finance? No. The funny thing about humans are they love to hear themselves talk. And so one of the secrets to getting a job places is you just ask a lot of questions. Jedi mind trick. Nice. Yeah. And so at the time I sat next to this lady, Tara, and I was like, so what do you do? She's like securities. And I'm like, oh, that's a lot of work because I thought she was talking about security at the like, you know, she had a gun, but she was actually talking so about. So wait, sec- <laughs> you were applying for the job and at Vanguard and you didn't I know wasn't what security applying. was? I was sitting at a conference next to her, to be fair. Okay. So, so I sat next starts. to her at a conference. Yeah. Is that, were you at the conference to learn about finance? Yes. Okay. Finance conference. Got it. Man, I, I hope people are drinking this in to not know, to be at a, at a conference for finance and to not know what a security is. That is amazing. Your story gets better by the second. Yeah. And again, why was I at the conference about finance? Because I wanted to get into finance, but I didn't know anything about it. So I just said, well, let's go to a place where they're talking about finance. So I go to a conference. Then I sit next to this lady. I get curious about her. I ask her all about her. I ask all about Vanguard. I get really curious about her job. What does she care about? What does she do? What's their mission? And when I get all those questions, I write down the answers. And so I'm actually getting the cheat code to what a hiring manager cares about at Vanguard because mm-hmm. I'm asking her questions. And then she gets intrigued by the fact that unlike most humans, I'm not talking at her. I'm asking her information and I'm very tuned in. I'm like focused on her intently. And I follow up, which most people also don't do. I send an email afterwards. It was so amazing to talk to you. Here are three things I learned. Super interesting. Love to have coffee with you a second time. We have coffee again. I just ask a bunch more questions. And then she asks me to apply for this very, uh, it was a rotational development program. So tons of people, all these fancy degrees everywhere and little Cody who didn't know what a security or a mutual fund was. Um, But I think, um, you know, the difference was I was really curious. And that is an abnormal thing in a world of humans who pretend that they know what they mean. So crazy. And then, so if, if I was trying to do this again, I would do the same thing. When I wanted to get into content, uh, what did I do? I just went and tried to talk to humans who knew something about content that I wanted to know. So if I wanted to understand media today, I would probably get really curious and I would learn on somebody else's dime. I think in a, a job today is like a free MBA. In fact, it's an MBA that they pay you for. And it's really underrated to have a job early on. The average employee at Vanguard, they say they spent $100,000 on training per employee when I was making $30,000 a year. So I was given this free MBA at Vanguard, not to mention three licenses that I've carried for the rest of my life that have to be registered at a company. I couldn't get them any other way. And so I think people should just go get a fucking job working for somebody, learning from them and go where the game's played. And then the amazing part is they could start in a factory with you. And if they're really hard workers, they're super curious and they keep asking if they know thyself continuously, you're going to keep promoting a really smart, a very hardworking, very curious, iterating human. And you'll promote them to different things that they want to that are within their skill sets. And so I probably to learn, I just, I like to steal other people's 10,000 hours. I want to go where the game's played. I want to sit with a bunch of winners and I want pressure. Um, because then I think you can learn. And it's, you know, Lisa and I were talking about this a little bit earlier, but there is scientific research that shows that being surrounded by top performers increases your performance by 15% and being around underperformers decreases your performance by 30%. And so if you're in a company so with a bunch of underperformers, 
get in one where it is hard. And if you are hanging out with friends that all are underperformers, get in one where you're with some top performers because, you know, you're going to earn 30% more money. Uh, or you're going to earn, actually, what is it? You're going to earn 45% more money if you're around top performers than if you're around underperformers. And I think most people don't think about that. Like people talk shit about Goldman. I'm like, that place is amazing for a young, hungry person. It's awful at a certain point, but for a young, hungry person, it's like top performers that are going to make me earn more, that are going to put pressure on me. It's the only way diamonds are made. It's the same thing in work. Mm. 